Welcome back, everybody, to the SideQuest Podcast. This is Eric. It is a lovely Tuesday, and I'm joined by the two greatest men in the world, Justin and Jeff. How are we doing today? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm just going to cut Jeff off right off the <laughs> bat and, and talk about how, how damn good I am. Oh. And I know Jeff's probably in high spirits as well, and I'll let Jeff take over from here. Okay. Tell us. Yeah, I'm 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 doing I'm doing pretty good as well. Getting excited. Summer's just around the corner, so I think we got some fun stuff planned. So yeah, I'm getting excited. I'm getting in a good mood. Okay. Well, the two greatest men in great moods. Awesome to hear. And we have a very, very special guest today. We are so excited to have him on the show. Dr. Clark Sheerla, aka the villager from The Mandalorian. So we have a, a very famous person on this show. So welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us, Doctor. Hey, it's great uh, to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, and we know, and like I said, he was a.k.a. the villager of the Mandalorian episode. So first, I want to just touch on a little bit of background. Tell us who you are, what you do, and then we got to start to hear about the Mandalorian, how you ended up in the show, and all that fun stuff. So let's start with your background first, and then let's jump into Mandalorian. Yeah, for sure. So um, I am a plastic surgeon practicing in Chicago and uh, kind of a lifelong Star Wars fan. I remember I was old enough to remember when Empire came out, a little too young for Star Wars. I remember being like in uh, first or second grade and like all the kids freaking out about the fact that, you know, Darth Vader was... uh, Luke Skywalker's dad. Spoiler alert for those of you uh, Damn it. listening. Uh, <laughs> That's how I know him. And, um, you know, grew up with the original trilogy and then uh, was, you know, kind of pleasantly um, had mixed feelings about the prequel trilogy. Uh, you know, meanwhile, life is going on. I'm going to medical school. I'm becoming a plastic surgeon. And um, I'm very fortunate to have an uncle who uh, worked for Disney for many, many years, uh, Wing Chow. Um, he's a very famous architect and Imagineer. Uh, had a 37 career, 37 year career with Disney, and um, helped to design a lot of big projects for them: cruise ships and hotels and theme parks and resorts. And so, um, long story short, too late. Uh, a couple of years ago, 2019, at the uh, the D22, uh, D, sorry, D23 convention, which is like the big uh, Disney's mm-hmm. version of Comic Con. Um, they uh, where they pre- it's a biannual meeting. They present the Disney Legend Awards to all kinds of famous people across all different kinds of um, areas of Disney, uh, Disney magic, if you will. Um, my uncle was presented with a Disney Legend Award, which is the equivalent of a Lifetime Achievement Award, uh, along with um, Robert Downey Jr., John Favreau, oh. um, uh, James Earl Jones, Bette Midler. Uh, it was an incredible day with Christina Aguilera. And, you know, these are all kind of uh, famous people whose names you might recognize, but you may not understand their, their connection to Disney necessarily. Yeah. But, you know, obviously with Disney's acquisition of the MCU and the Marvel properties, you know, John Favreau was inducted for his work on Iron Man and then all of his work on the MCU. RDJ, uh, same, same uh, scenario. Christina Aguilera actually sang the song from Mulan, the original animated movie, um, Reflections. Uh, that was a oh, Christina yeah. Aguilera song. Yeah. And she uh, she was a Disney Club um, member. That's how she got her start. So uh, really kind of motley crew of super cool, famous people. And that's where my uncle, 
met John Favreau. And wow. my uncle, he's a hilarious guy. During his acceptance speech, he um, kind of was trash talking a little bit about, you know, 37 years for Disney and I never made it into a movie. My mom was so disappointed. <laughs> you know, he was kind of joking. Um, and John Favreau, uh, you know, really, this is kind of funny. It's a mutual admiration society. As much as people know his work and are impressed by his work, um, John Favreau actually is a big fan of my uncle's work. I mean, he kind of knew of him knew of uh, the projects that he had developed for Disney. And um, long story short, a, a month later, he emails my uncle, hey, would you be interested in reading for a small part that I've written for you in the second season of The Mandalorian? So this is oh. back in August August of 2019. Yeah, and that was the email you had to help him write, if I remember. You're like, I have to help him write this. Yes. Yeah. Well, it was really funny, you know, I mean, his, his English is very good, but, he, you know, he has some little grammatical things. He's a little self-conscious about that sometimes. And so he often enlists me in um, uh, writing, you know, what he considers to be important emails to important people. Yeah. And as a Star Wars fan, when I saw this invitation, my head exploded. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. You're going to be on The Mandalorian. I can't believe this. This is insane. Can you like can I come out and watch you on the set? I would just love to get on the set. I know how secretive and locked down these sets are. Yeah. And um, it turns out he's back and forth, back and forth. They, things moved along. And there were five days of filming. One of them happened to be Saturday, January 19th, which was uh, Chinese New Year of 2020. Okay. And so I'm like, it's a Saturday. You know what? I actually don't have to cancel any surgeries to, to make this happen. I'm going to fly out Friday night. And it'd be great if I could get on the set and just watch, you know, just look around and soak up all the Star Wars-ness. Yeah. Uh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> so on the way to the airport Friday night in my Uber, he calls me. He's like, hey, great news. We got you on. And I'm like, oh, cool. I, you got me on the set. He's like, no, no, no. We got you on as an extra. Oh. And I literally, I like let out a little scream. I think my Uber driver was a little concerned. Um, and so, yeah, next day I'm, I arrived that night. We had a nice Chinese New Year's dinner. My, my, my uncle is Chinese. I'm half Chinese. My uh, mother's side of the family is Chinese. Um, and I got to go on set and he, uh, you know, around noon went to wardrobe, makeup. Um, and they had like worked out a special little cute scene at the end of the episode that was going to be a little Easter egg. Um, and I get to put a robe on my uncle. My uncle, Wing Chow, plays a character named Governor Wing. Um, and because my role is non-speaking, I wasn't supposed to be in the credits. But again, my uncle never takes no for an answer. He pushed them and he actually got them to put me in the credits. So I appear in the credits. Holy cow. I now I now have an IMDB listing. <laughs> All <It's> right. Insane. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm in Star Wars. My that... mind is blown. <laughs> so all right. So you gotta walk me through you arrive on set like where like are they in some secretive studio that like you gotta go through three checkpoints like who the fuck are you? Like why are you here? You know, like walk totally. us walk us through that morning. Like you walk to set totally. or you get to set. How did how did yep. it go? Very cool. So the night before, I'm like reviewing my uncle's lines. He's got actual lines. I have no lines. I don't even know again if I'm gonna just be like somebody in like a mask and like full makeup so you won't even see me. Um the next morning we wake up, we're driving. So we're driving to Manhattan Beach. I think this is public knowledge, or at least it's it's relatively well known. So they they film at a sound stage, it's in a studio, it's an indoor studio. It's uh, our, our episode, at least. I mean, I think they, they uh, film in various locations, but this was a green screen 
uh, or rather blue screen. Um, so it's episode <clears throat> 13, uh, which is episode five of the second season, uh, titled The Jedi, which is the, the episode where you actually meet Ahsoka Tano and uh, you learn that Baby Yoda's name is Grogu. It was a um, major spoiler, big major episode. episode. Yeah, really, really cool episode <laughs> to be a part of. And actually, my my uncle only had very few pages, you know. So just like when they film MCU things or whatever, like nobody really knows what ending they're gonna pick or whatever. Like I actually had no idea that the episode was that that big of a deal. And um, uh, my uncle actually had a scene with Rosario Dawson, so Whoa. he would have known, but. But he's not as like entrenched in the Star Wars uh, universe. So <laughs> a woman walking around really in orange like, makeup. Oh yeah, I think her name is uh, Soka or Soku or Suka, <laughs> maybe <you know>? Siku. <laughs> yeah. Oh my um, gosh. So uh, we go to Manhattan Beach Studios. He has to swipe in the the soundstage. I think this is also public knowledge. Um, like many Star Wars projects, had a code name. So everything is, all the signage was Huckleberry 2. <laughs> Huckleberry 2 was the name of the project. It was like a Western font. Yeah. And uh, so we were parking in the Huckleberry 2 lot for the Huckleberry 2 set. Yeah. And uh, once, you, as soon as you get in there, you know, you had to check all your cell phones and everything. Which... And um, I got swept over to um, uh, makeup, costume. Anytime you went outside, they actually had black cloaks for you to put on oh, wow. because they literally there are like paparazzi and, uh, you know, fan sites yeah. that are flying, flying drones overhead, <laughs> like 24 yeah. seven, just trying to catch a glimpse of somebody in makeup or some some leak or some spoiler that they can get a scoop on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it definitely is a you know high security, very intense kind of experience but the the makeup gal it was so cool like when they were they were doing the makeup they're doing the, the costume she's like you know fitting me with this belt and these boots and and like ragged um you know it's 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 kind of a, um it's that planet the the, the village of caladan on the, the i think the, the moon of corvus uh is where the setting is and so it's this like post-apocalyptic kind of setting you know the, that chick has just taken over uh, who's been play, being played by um, uh, the, the person that knows Thrawn, apparently. You know, that's, again, the reveal at the end of the scene. Um, and so it, the, the villagers are very, like, um, downtrodden and all that. And it just was so cool having all these items put on me, um, watching my character take place. Yeah. And every Literally every piece of cloth or felt or buck, belt buckle was barcoded. Oh, geez. Um, for, for, for continuity. Um, and like if I, my character ever appears again or they had to do a reshoot, they would be able to like perfectly replicate. Um, wow. They took a Polaroid. They, they take pictures constantly throughout the day with um, iPhones to kind of document continuity. Like, oh, wait, that smudge on your right forehead <laughs> uh, came off. So let's get that smudge put yeah. back on in case. You know, they don't want the uh, the Game of Thrones Starbucks moment. Oh, God. <laughs> or like the whole right. season eight moment, right? hiding hiding behind the screen there yeah um and so it was just super cool and then when when she finished my outfit she like gives me one quick once over and she looks at me and she's like that's it you're in star wars wow and i literally like i had like a seizure i I need to change my pants immediately (laughs) you you totally get it you get it so she could like there was they were talking to me while they were getting me dressed and I dropped enough, you know, Star Wars nerd 
facts that they could tell that I was a genuine fan and not just like, you know, this VIP's uncle uh, or VIP's nephew kind of thing. And so they're like, oh, you're one of us. You're really into this. That's so great. <laughs> it's so great when we get one of you, you know, like uh, you're actually into it. You're not just a random extra who's here for like, you know, a yeah. paycheck for the day. <laughs> yeah. And there's and there's the photos. I remember like after you you came back and you're like, I got to show you these photos. There's him because you snuck in. Your well, phone, at I least will say, I can neither confirm or deny. Neither that, can, um, but all I, I remember uh, is seeing a, this one. Physician, as a physician, obviously, I I need to remain in contact for you know being on call for yeah. patients. You know, and uh, I may or may not have accidentally uh, snapped a photo of me smiling with the biggest shit. It is the biggest grin on I've earth. Ever seen a <laughs> yeah, well, that, that that may or may not exist, but I'm just curious as well because I mean you're on a set with you know actors and uh, crew and props and stuff like that. Who was kind of walking around the set that you're like, holy shit, is that uh, is that John Favreau or is that this? You know, who? Yeah, yeah. So who was there? John Favreau. John Favreau was not there that day. Uh, Dave Filoni was the director of that episode. Um, you know, each of the episodes is directed by some different folks, and so uh, John David Filoni was the the director. He was there the whole day. A lot of like really fun little conversations and um, backstage little snippets uh, chatting with him really really yeah, i mean you, know, I, you guys know favreau and filoni are just encyclopedic intellects when it comes to lucasfilm and the body of star wars and the star wars extended universe um so just to, to hear like a, a a visual artist of his caliber talking at the level of like how he was envisioning this scene and and trying to like bring in a little flavor of Kurosawa. And I mean, obviously the episode is a Kung Fu movie. You know, yeah. you've got uh, um, Dan Inosanto's uh, daughter, uh, who is, you know, one of like Bruce Lee's uh, disciples is, is the, uh, the gal that plays the, um, uh, the, the kind of Imperial uh, uh, governor that, that took over, that stole the town from my uncle. You know, so my uncle is this like Jackie Chan, like good guy who kind of gets reinstated at the end um, by the villager, by, by me, I, I, I enrobed him and that's him taking back his mantle as the governor of the town. That's all kind of this really nice unspoken kind of backstory, um, behind the, uh, the episode, uh, which just, you know, gives you a, a sense of the, uh, the richness and depth of, you know, how they fought out this, this storytelling, um, in terms of actual actors, um at this point the the mandalorian uh was being played by his body double which okay. you know it's it's funny if you follow a lot of the um the the um disney uh star wars mandalorian youtube um gossip kind of youtubers mm -hmm. rumor you know rumor youtubers I remember it was really funny, like uh, about three or four months uh, after filming, but before the season two dropped, there were these rumors running around of like Pedro Pascal uh, storming off the set. Is Pedro Pascal out as the Mandalorian? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and so it's funny to kind of put two and two together. But apparently what happened, because a lot of those rumors are time shifted from like when they actually happened and when the leaks come out from the, the various people. But my, my sense is he was filming an earlier episode and it was really flipping hot. And uh, it was an actual like tattooing desert kind of thing. And uh, it was hot. 
he was getting annoyed that he couldn't take the helmet off. He's sweating. And he's like, why do I even have to be here? I can do all this, you know, on voiceover after the fact. Yeah. And they have multiple body and stand-ins and whatnot. So I think at this point they had already like officially transitioned to, yeah, that's actually how we're going to film these. Pedro, <laughs> you don't, you don't have to be here anymore. Yeah. We got this guy who is your height and he he's knows how to walk stand. like you. And uh, he's the Mandalorian and he's going to say some things and we're going to act with him and uh, we're going to do some scenes. And then afterwards, you know, Pedro is just going to like do all this in a soundstage somewhere, you know, in a sound booth. Yeah. And we'll just boy, we'll just voice over everything and that'll be fine. It's basically um, David Prowse with Vader. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. James Earl Jones. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I got to see that guy, you know, the actual, so it's the actual Mandalorian costume. Um, and then, uh, Grogu, Grogu is incredible. Grogu is this like multi-million dollar puppet <laughs> that is controlled by three dudes. There are three dudes with, um, uh, these like, uh, they look like drone controllers, like the, you know, joystick, like double joystick kind of controllers. Yeah. And like one guy, one guy's doing his ears, one guy's doing his head, one guy's doing his eyes and his face. And um, it's a full, you know, these are full, like, Lucasfilm veteran, um, Henson Studios, Muppet. I mean, you know, it's like, it's just like the real Yoda with with uh, Frank Oz. I mean, it's it's a real, like, throwback to this incredible blend of artistry between CGI and just real life talented motherfuckers yeah. doing incredible stuff that they've been doing for years, bringing a piece of latex to life. So you're um, like, so you're like kid in a candy store the whole entire day. You're oh just, God. what's this? Oh my God. What's that? What is this? Just it's <laughs> touching. A, can yeah, I touch? It's a star Wars rock. Oh my God. I need to pick. Yeah. <laughs> Pocket that, that rock. That must've been amazing. Yeah, and yeah. so I'm, I'm sure at that point, you know, you, you wrap the day of filming and they're probably like, Hey, listen, we know who you are. We know where you live. So uh, might want to zip it. Right. Is that kind of the Disney way? Like NDA. hundred oh, percent. Like we're, fo- we're following you home. <laughs> you don't mess with the mouse. Yeah. John, uh, Filoni was, I mean, they were actually really nice about it. Cause like there was, there was another, um, uh, woman there visiting on set. I think she was actually, you know, one of the production assistants where it was her day off, but she was there with her small child, her son, who was also like a kid in the candy store. Um, that's actually, I gotta be honest, you know, they weren't filming with the Grogu puppet that day. And the only reason I got to see Grogu in action was cause they were like to the, to this kid, you know, so they, they will periodically have some, you know, VIP guests on the set. And, um, they're like, Hey, you want to see the, you want to see the asset? You want to see the kid? Cause of course on set, you don't call it baby Yoda. Baby Yoda is very bourgeois. <laughs> and like, that's, that's what the unwashed masses call him. He is, you know, to, to the actual Star Wars people, he is the asset or the child. That's the those are the two acceptable names to call him uh, before his name was revealed. Um, and so I, I went over as a, you know, uh, a little side effect of the fact that they were going to show this kid. So these three guys fire up this million dollar robot and they, like you know, waved at him and smiled and gave him a little high five. It was adorable. And the mom, you know, the mom was like whipping out her phone. She's like. Is this okay? I mean, this is insane. This is a once in a lifetime. And they're like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Just don't make sure you don't share it anywhere. Um, you know, so it's a very, it's very strict, no cameras on set, but it's, it's all meant for, um, you know, it's an artistic decision. Uh, David was like at the end of the long day. I mean, we finished wrapping, uh, we wrapped filming at midnight, right? Noon to midnight. Oh. This is their work day, 12 hour days, 
seven days a week, literally. No oh. days off. They work seven days a week, 12 to midnight. That's the schedule. Yeah. And, and at I... the end, he's like, he's like, now is the hard part. Like he was talking to me. He's like, now's the hard part. Keeping your mouth shut. He's like, it's so hard. He's like, <laughs> I, I you know when you film this, it's like, it's always so exciting. But like, but that's part of the magic, right? I mean, like, would you have wanted to know that Luke was coming back at the end of episode 16? Like, no, I know when I saw that and you see the green lightsaber and you see the X-Wing, I mean, the goosebumps, you know, there's no substitute for that a moment of magic and surprise. And so they really do instill it on you as like, you know what, you're part of this now. To some degree, you know, it's, it's like a little bit of the magic has been rubbed away for you. It's like, oh, it doesn't this suck. Now yeah. <laughs> being on the inside, you you know this and you know that, and now you got to keep the secret for like eight months, and uh, you know it's not it's not going to be as cool when you see it because like uh, you kind of know what yeah. happens behind the scenes. Yeah, you the know, so surprise like, yeah, goes actually, away a little bit. <laughs> right, right. You know, so it really is. I think and I think everyone kind of has that same mindset. So that's that's the reason why I think with all these people on set, you still get you don't get as many leaks or big uh spoilers as you might think because i think everyone there really just is it's a labor of love they know that they're lucky to be there this is the you know for the makeup artist for the key grip for the guy that knows how to tie the sandbags that hold the lights up whatever role you're playing this is like the 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 job of a lifetime you've been working your whole career to make it to be the guy that gets to tape down the floor on the corner of the set of the Mandalorian, yeah. you know, and there was just that, that sense of excellence and camaraderie from top to bottom. Every, every person on set was just at the top of their game. And uh, it was really, really ex- inspiring to see. Yeah. That's so, an amazing. It's just story. Oh my God. I'm just like clenching my, my armchairs right now. Awesome. Jeff, <laughs> go. So I think we're going to, yeah, I think we're going to do our first side quest here. Um, and, you know, Clark, this is more towards you and going back to, you know, you've met with Dave Filoni. We've recently found out that he's now the executive creator director for Lucasfilm. Yes. Uh, and you're on set and seeing you went we went from the sequels, which we've talked a little bit about it on the podcast, which mm-hmm. Clark, you and I've uh, talked about those as well. And and uh, honestly, the clusterfuck that they are to then <laughs> moving forward to what John Favreau and Dave Filoni are doing and what what happened and what does the future look like though now with with them kind of in charge opposed to what happened with these the sequels and, and yeah, so... not great press but then all of a sudden the show comes right. out and there's this yep. baby Yoda and the storytelling and the characters mm-hmm. what happened and what do you see the future now you're on set with these guys? What does that look like? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I, you know, I think with, with Dave Filoni ascending the ranks um, and, you know, we'll have to see what happens with John Favreau um, vis-a-vis Kathleen Kennedy. And, um, <laughs> do not speak of, you know, uh, yeah, but you know, uh, there's no doubt in my mind, you know, in, in John Favreau and David Filoni's hands, the legacy of Star Wars, I think, is in very good hands, even to the degree that they would be able to potentially bridge things and work around things in terms of what well, the, the sequel trilogy and how that's, um, uh, you know, it's Disney. It's a big corporation. There's lots of moving parts. And it's not as simple as I think it's portrayed in the uh, 
um, the, the, the fan verse YouTubers, the fandom menace of like, you know, this group is evil. This group is winning or losing at the, at the corporate level. It's all much more nuanced and people are working together to try to do this and try to do that. And there's creative differences and yada, yada. Um, but you know, a, a little, and obviously I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere near being an insider, but I can give a little bit of insight based on a conversation I had with him, with Dave on set. Um, he was explaining to my uncle wing, you know, kind of a little bit about the context of this planet, this Corvus planet, how this, um, at Imperial uh, representative, this uh, the, the um, uh, Inosanto was able to take over this like former mining colony. This is he's like this is like Pittsburgh. Uh, this is like a steel belt <laughs> mining town that is now like it's past its prime, and um, it's kind of it, it actually benefited maybe from like some of the protection from the Empire, but now that it's no longer the Empire has fallen then it's maybe like there's going to be people coming in and maybe looting and taking over. And this is one of these places where it's like a mixed conflict of like, um, uh, were we better off under the empire, you know, which I think Mandalorian does a great job of exploring, um, you know, some of the episodes where, you know, you're cheering for the tie fighters, right. When they save Mando, um, uh, during that, that, uh, that episode when they're, you know, kind of masquerading as the stormtroopers on that mining town. Um, it does a really great job of kind of exploring some of the complexities of that. He's explaining to me this, you know, concept behind this particular town on this colony on this moon. And I asked the question, I'm like, oh, so, you know, is this where all the, is this where some of the material, the raw materials are coming from where the emperor was able to like secretly build this insane fleet out of nowhere <laughs> um, with no one knowing. And he immediately shot me down. He's like, um, no, we have, we have nothing to do with the sequel trilogies. I, this has nothing to do with sequel trilogies. I have nothing. <laughs> there's no, there's no continuity that connects any of this yeah. with the secret trilogy. <laughs> so yeah. I got to ask you, and, I got to ask us in a, a value. He did it in a value neutral way. He wasn't saying like they're terrible and we hate them. But it was very clear. He's like, yeah, uh, we, 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 we really don't. Uh, that's a different part of the company. And we don't. Uh, yeah. Anyway, next question. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I was going to ask you, what, what in your mind could have helped fix the sequel trilogy? Was it the story inconsistency? Was it the characters? Like, what do you think could have made it 10 times better if you were in charge and you had, you know, maybe your, your hands on the puppet strings? Um, I think ultimately, uh, you know, there's, and again, this is mostly, most of what I know about this is just being a fan and, uh, watching the movies, having watched the movies in the theater and having really mixed feelings while watching them. And then watching a lot of the pushback on social media afterwards, I have to be honest, I don't think I hated them as much as I learned to hate them <laughs> after hearing very thoughtful analysis from very thoughtful YouTubers and podcasters really go through and that, you know, they, they all, they, I think left all of us with kind of a, a little bit of an empty feeling and mm -hmm. they definitely weren't as satisfying as they could have been. It's fun to see star Wars stuff happening on a big screen. Right. Yeah, right. And that's, I, I think that's JJ Abrams. JJ Abrams is dazzling. He knows how to film some gorgeous looking stuff happening. Yeah. Um, Vis-a-vis -vis the star Trek reboot, you know, alternate dimension kind of stuff. And, you know, that, but then there's like when you actually drill down and you really kind of try to analyze it in terms of story, character development, plot, there is like massive gaping holes 
there's, you know, the holdo maneuver kind of like there's subverting expectations. And then there's turning Luke Skywalker into an anti-hero that's sucking blue milk out of an alien teat. <laughs> there's uh, Luke Skywalker disrespecting a lightsaber. Then there's the retcon in, you know, Rise of Skywalker, where he like goes back and, and, you know, it talks about like, well, no, no, you should always respect the lightsaber. Right. So it's like they, they kind of just, they, they didn't have, I think a unified story from the beginning. Yeah. Um, the, an, an executive decision was made to kind of toss out legends and not worry about any of the stories that were out there. And the beauty of legends. And I think, you know, the way Lucasfilm handled this in the years before, um, uh, the, the sequel trilogy is this idea that, like, yeah, we have this whole expanded universe and you're going to have some good novels and some bad novels and some good comics and some bad comics. And, you know, because we're not saying that any of this is canon, we can then maybe pick and choose in the future, like what kind of stories and characters well, seem to develop naturally. Does. Right, exactly, exactly. And you can reinvent this and reinvent that, you know, but like when it comes to like, okay, dude, we're doing episode seven, eight, nine, we're doing canon here. Like yeah. you would have, I think you would have hoped that they would have actually not just tossed that out. And, you know, there's yeah. a lot of quotes, a lot of quotes that get pulled out as examples of how dismissive they were and when things went off the rails. But, you know, the idea that like they would say something like, yeah, the big challenge is you have no source material. <laughs> and, you know, it's just <laughs> really people, are, people have to sit around and they just have to brainstorm and come up with great stories around a drawing board. And you're like, really? Yeah, <laughs> really? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think I think they were pretty aggressive, too, because they made a promise to fans like, and we're going to release a Star Wars movie every year for the next 10 years, and you're going to get episode yeah. seven, yeah. eight, and nine every other year. It's like, holy shit, that's pretty aggressive. Like, are you like a story has been baked and developed, and you guys figured well, it all out? Uh, and then after the failure of the sequels, they then said, oh, we're going to pull back on Star Wars things and do less until The Mandalorian yes. came out. And now we got Bad Batch. We got uh, a Rogue, uh, Rogue Obi Wan. Yeah, Rogue Squadron. Yeah, Obi yeah. Now all is exploded. Right. With the, but now they have two people who know what they're doing. I mean, Dave Filoni. Why was he never involved in the sequels? Right. So I think Lucas is like Padawan. It was. It was. Uh, it, there was. Um, if I had to kind of you know put my take on it, and this is again full opinion. I I'm like the farthest thing from any kind of insider. Um, I didn't even get paid. I don't have a SAG card. I was just happy to be there as a fanboy. Um, but it's respect for the franchise. And I think at some level, the, uh, the JJ Abrams approach is okay. I get it. It's flashy. It's star Wars. It's uh, sci-fi. I know how to do that. It's going to be space battles and space heroes and space cowboys fighting each other. Um, but there wasn't a respect for the story and the character development. Yeah. And um, now, does that matter? <clears throat> right? So then there was also a lack of respect for the old dudes like me because we're not the future. You know, you're trying to capture a young demographic. So they, they specifically kind of went at this from a standpoint of like, you know what? The old dudes are the past. We don't have to pander to the old dudes. And this is about capturing the new generation. Okay, the new generation, what do we got to do? We need a more uh, ethnically and racially and sexually diverse cast. We need right. um, uh, we need a female lead, um, and then let's just remake you know Luke Skywalker, except it's a female Luke Skywalker, and uh, and then not paying attention to the 
you know, his development arc or who he was. And then like, oh, yeah, he's, she's a nobody because that means anyone can have the force. Oh, wait, no, she's not a nobody. She's Palpatine's <laughs> granddaughter because like, oh, yeah. my God. So that, that it just gave a Palpatine's alive because. Right. They didn't really know where they're going or what the messaging was. And there's, a, I think, a lack of respect for the fact that these stories, I mean, yeah, it's a it's a you know it's an old movie and it's you know at the end of the day you can kind of think this is just a dumb sci-fi movie but no it's actually it was a pretty well crafted you know kind of mythological i mean hell you know uh, george lucas working with joseph campbell and the power of myth and you know kind of the 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 story of the hero's odyssey and the story resonated because it was actually a well-crafted um story from ancient mythology set in that's the reason it's a long time ago in a galaxy far far away this is not a futuristic sci-fi movie this is a long time ago it's a space opera it's a space western it's a space myth um you know samurai like it's just so great the way it weaves all that stuff together and i think fundamentally favreau and filoni demonstrate that respect for the importance of that and what it really means and at the end of the day they care about dollars, right? So yeah. sequel trilogy breaks even, barely makes it, maybe tanks actually, maybe actually loses money. Nobody's buying Ray, Finn, uh, you know, uh, action figures. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Mandalorian comes out and like Luke Skywalker coming back breaks the internet. Uh, you got Baby Yoda selling everywhere. Everywhere I look, all my kids' friends wear Baby Yoda stuff. It's all they wear. Yeah. You know, so like- <laughs> It's all Jeff day, wears too. Like, <laughs> right, you know, guess what? It's not a, if you actually make a good story that matters, the old dudes will like it, but it'll actually resonate better with the next generation as well. Like it actually matters that you have good storytelling and good uh, plot development. Um, and so I, I do have some optimism that this really seems like the Filoni Favreau camp has gained some momentum and has some support behind them. Um, in the form of dollars, like you know, ultimately yeah. that's what the mouse the mouse cares about success and uh, and, and rising stock. Yeah, and I think the real the real um, the real I think nail in the coffin may have been the Forbes article calling out the Gina Carano firing. Oh, you know, which yeah, does, yeah, which doesn't even mention uh, uh, Kathleen Kennedy by name, but it just talks about Chapek and like how Disney this is the Gina Carano firing is kind of hypocritical and shows bad management, and you know. Again, they may not care what a bunch of 40-year-old dudes talking on a podcast say, but they care what Forbes magazine says. Right. So <laughs> yep. that was really uh, a reality check. Uh, like, okay, let's let's see what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> I well, feel- and you also have the success of, you know, the MCU, which Favreau spearheaded. I mean, he yes. – there's been no comic universe like – or no universe ever that's managed to do what yeah. they – not even Lord of the Rings – but that was Favreau. And even with Iron Man, he's like, it has to be Robert Downey Jr. And the studio was like, no, he's a washed yeah, up, yeah. you know, drug addict. And he's like, it only works with him because yeah. he understood yeah. the comic. He understood the character. And yeah. and that's what the MCU does. They understand the comics. They're all fanboys themselves. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. I feel, he's, you know... I'll tell you, for his uh, Disney Legends Award acceptance speech, again, I was just blown away. He's such a massive nerd. I love him so much. He's talking about the Disney Legend Award is a statue. It's a statue of Mickey's hand holding a wand. It's the Sorcerer's Apprentice, right, (laughs) which is 
an obscure scene from Fantasia, which is a movie that if you're a Disney fan, you've probably seen. I made my kids watch it, but a lot of people don't even know about this movie anymore. The Sorcerer's Apprentice, Mickey, as the Sorcerer's this this finger, he, he starts talking about, you know, this is so great to, to win this award. I love the statue, the iconography. Of course, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, which was based, of course, on the ancient myth of the Golem of Prague, which is a medieval uh, tale. And it just goes to show the way that Disney's respect for ancient stories, bringing these old stories into the future, Snow White, Cinderella, the Grimm's fairy tale. I was like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? Like, Jeez. the golem of Prague? Like, where the what hell What the did fuck that is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? The, about the sequels, I feel the only person I feel bad for in that entire trilogy is really Kylo Ren. Like, his... Yeah. I wanted him to be the bad guy so bad. And in the first movie, he teetered on the line and he kind of got there, but... I was hoping in the sequels he was going to go deeper and deeper off. off. Yeah, he really was. And and that was like such a good opportunity for them to say like, listen, you think as the audience that this guy is going to turn out to be a good guy, but I hate to break it to you. Like this guy was set out to join the dark side and one way or another, he's going to do it. Even if he's got to like chop off his own arm to show that he's a part of it and they fucked it up. Right. <laughs> among sure other did. things among other things <laughs> yeah no i mean this the the, the long that's really kind of what turned me off on them is that you know again when you there's like there's many many youtubers that have like you know gone like point by point like all the things that are messed up all the missed opportunities in the screenplay i mean the, you know, the knights of ren which kind of went nowhere yep um all these plot arcs with like you know does finn have the force or not finn really doesn't develop at all as a character you got uh, the, the what's your name? Um, the shiny Rose. stormtrooper. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Captain Bolt. Captain Phasma. Yeah, yeah, Captain Phasma, who's like Both such a badass, bad. and she like just get totally gets like chumped, knocked by you know by like yeah, a like little killed on screen. Move. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> and crazy. the whole casino you know, planet, the whole fucking mm, casino planet, the casino side bad side ones. gig, which was a total waste of time. God. Um, the hold of, you know, yeah, again, it goes on and on. All of these, like, oh, this is, wouldn't that be a neat plot twist? And it's, you can just tell it's like somebody that doesn't really know Star Wars sitting around at the table trying to brainstorm some, brainstorm something interesting. Yeah. And, you know, when, when they, when they came out, actually, I gave them the benefit of the doubt. And what I was telling, like, the Uber critics was, well, you know, they're kind of damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. If they actually stuck to, canon and played out plot arcs that we expected and that were consistent with canon then it would be too boring and predictable and so yeah they have to like throw some twists in there and the twist then anytime there's a twist yeah you can go in and say like well this violates the physics or there is this thing where that couldn't happen and yeah you know it's a tough job right but i think what john favreau and david filoni have shown is no, 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 you can do it. If you're good, you can make it happen. I mean, you can make a seven-season series of, you know, Clone Wars or Rebels. Yeah. And you can build <laughs> rich characters that build on canon, don't violate canon, and yet are still engaging and interesting and draw you in and take you in different directions. And uh, so, I mean, again, as, a, as, as an old dude, <laughs> I... I'm just I'm I'm really excited to see what they're able to kind of craft going forward, um, even to you know the, the the theories about how they're going to maybe retcon using Ahsoka, the Veil of the Force, 
which is in Clone Wars, which is in Rebels. Right. It's there. It's canon. To uh, create a secondary timeline that kind of you know relegates the the sequel trilogy to a secondary timeline. Just bring in the (laughs) quantum realm. Just that's that easy. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Exactly. (laughs) Ant Man comes in and he kind of changes it for you. He's like, "Oh shit, wrong movie." All right, see ya. Um, (laughs) But hey, quick question for you: Um, If you had to choose between the prequels and the sequels, you know the the originals stay, so the originals are there. But for the rest of your life, you could only watch the prequels or the sequels. Which would you choose? You know, again, in hindsight, I'd say the prequels because ultimately the, the prequels were. They were campy. They were cheesy. Jar Jar Binks is like annoying, <laughs> but they were George Lucas. Yeah, and the, they were still good story. And and you know, Anakin's plot arc and his turn to the dark side. You know, you can say what you will about some crappy writing. And you know, I love you so much. I love. You. So I mean, come <laughs> on, seriously. Um, placeholder dialogue about well, from my point of view, the Jedi's might be evil. Like seriously, that that's the line you came up with. Yeah. <laughs> Now, they are bringing Hayden back for Obi-Wan. Right, yeah, yeah. But at least it's, uh, it's Lucas, it fits, it makes sense. Um, they're good characters. And then you see what they did with that, you know, going through Clone Wars and, you know, uh, Count Dooku and all the way that kind of developed. So I would stick with, with the prequel trilogy. At the time when it came out, I was horrified. I thought Jar Jar Binks was, like, the, the, the greatest Satan they grow ever. <laughs> <laughs> you know everything's relative right so jay the the sequel trilogy is bigger budget flashier it looks prettier but the, there's just no meat on those bones and yeah. uh, ultimately i think story wins so okay very very good well dr clark Sheerla, aka the villager we appreciate the time that you spent today i mean you were like hot out of the or like you're just like up oh, cleaning my scrubs yeah. off i got the podcast <laughs> oh, to do yeah. They're still cleaning up in the other room. No, <laughs> time to talk Star Wars. It's time to talk yes. some Star Wars. So we really appreciate you coming on today and talking with us. And we just want to give you the last uh, couple minutes here to plug away anything you got going on. Let the audience know where they can reach you. Anything you got? Social media? Go for it. Oh, dude, that's great. Yeah, um, I am on Instagram as Dr. Clark Sheerla, which you know, good luck if you can spell that. <laughs> uh, you can also Google Northwestern Specialists in Plastic Surgery. That's my practice in uh, Chicago. My partner, Neil Fine, and I, uh, we do a lot of plastic surgery. We help breast cancer patients. We do cosmetic surgery. I go to the Shriners Hospital and uh, visit and, and help do surgery on kids twice a month uh, as a kind of a uh, community outreach kind of thing. Um, it's fun. Yeah, if anybody's ever in Chicago, feel free to look me up. And uh, I have a pretty open social media platform. Uh, I've actually had two random people reach out to me for autographs oh. that found my information on Facebook. Um, some massive mega fans. Wow. Who, uh, I guess are like hardcore obscure star Wars autograph collector is this what a 50 year old from the Netherlands <laughs> and a uh, high school senior from Wheaton hey. uh, that reached out to me and uh, I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. But yeah, it's uh, so, you know, if, if uh, you get the spelling of my name, right. <laughs> yeah we'll get you we'll tag you in our post so everybody can find us cool great so if i had enough money could you turn me into a star wars character is that on the menu or not <laughs> <laughs> we'd have to meet and talk okay i want to turn uh, into jabba sure. so no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not not take anything away i want you to add i want you to add no but uh we do appreciate it <laughs> My pleasure, my pleasure. We do appreciate it. We always end the show with some sort of sound or quote. 
And I think it's, you know, Clark, uh, you should give us your best, you know, may the force be with you or your best like Chewbacca. Um, yeah, you know, I can't quote my line from the show because I didn't have any lines. <laughs> um, if you could see me, I'd be smiling and putting a coat on somebody. Um, but yeah, you know, guys, the force is strong with you. I think the uh, the future is bright for Star Wars. My my motto in real life is always do your best and don't get stressed. And um, you know, I hope that's a little bit of dad advice for all of you guys listening out there. But uh, thanks for having me on and have a great day. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We'll see you guys later.